listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. Everybody knows that the Civil War ended at Appomattox Courthouse in 1865. Or did it really? We'll talk about that and many other myths and truths of the Appomattox Campaign and the Surrender of Lee's Army with our guest today, Patrick Schroeder, historian at the National Park Service Historic Site at Appomattox. We'll do that when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Everyone faces conflict at home, at work, in the community, in the world. Fix Your Conflicts is a show about how to fix those conflicts with practical tips and techniques. Doug Knoll brings to the Internet airwaves the first of its kind, a show that teaches peaceful resolution to life's daily battles. That's Fix Your Conflicts with Doug Knoll, broadcasting live every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific on World Talk Radio Studio A. Marissa, are you ready yet? I know you can hear me. You are not missing school again. Marissa! You trying to be a nobody or something? Let's go! Alright then. Hit it. I know you can hear this. Hey guys, move closer. Girl, I am not leaving. Hey, whatever it takes, don't let your friends drop out. A real friend can make all the difference. Cut that noise, yo! I'm coming! Took you long enough. Thanks for the help, guys. For more ways to help, go to OperationGraduation.com. A public service message from the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. This is Jerry Prokopovich coming to you on a rain-soaked March Friday afternoon in 2008 from the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in North Carolina, beautiful town of Greenville. Uh, speaking, however, not for Greenville or ECU or the History Department. Well, I could speak for the History Department because I'm the acting chair and drunk with power. But uh, actually just speaking for myself and the same uh, for our guest who will represent only his own views as always. Uh, before we start, uh, thanks as always to everyone who is supported the show in the past. We look forward to staying here uh, at this website for a good while now as we're lining up sponsorship to keep things going here. Thanks also to everyone who has taken a look at uh, my most recent book, Did Lincoln Own Slaves? and other quest frequently asked questions about Abraham Lincoln. The uh, book continues to do well, and I appreciate those who have read it and 
sent in comments or questions about it, as well as those who've attended various events around the country where I've had the opportunity to talk about it. Uh, I'll talk with our guest about one such event last Saturday in his neck of the woods uh, in just a few moments. Before uh, getting to that, however, uh, I want to share some news on the history and Lincoln front and uh, take a minute to tell you about this and, and Perhaps it will turn into a regular talk radio-style rant by the time I'm done. We'll see how much self-control I can exercise here. Uh, the story comes out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, home of the Lincoln Museum. I've talked about that many times. I spent nine years there as the Lincoln Scholar and Director of Public Programs and uh, uh, enjoyed very much the opportunity to work with a wonderful collection at the Lincoln Museum. On March 3rd, the Lincoln Financial Foundation, which is the organization that funds the museum, uh, the, the charitable philanthropic arm of Lincoln Financial Group, <clears throat> released a, uh, a press release, and it had uh, an exciting title about uh, uh, the new, um, oh, how did they phrase it? We should get it exactly right here. Lincoln Financial Foundation to make its Lincoln Museum collection more accessible and visible. Why, that sounds like good news. So I began reading the, the note, and it turns out that the Lincoln Financial Foundation announced today it will take a two-pronged approach to make its Lincoln Museum collection more accessible and visible in celebration of the Abraham Lincoln Bicentennial in 2009. So this is going great, and the paragraph continues to describe the wonderful collection it has. The two-pronged approach is that the foundation will seek public partners, uh, with whom the museum can explore exhibition options. And secondly, it will digitize its documents to make the entire collection more visible and accessible. Now, the second paragraph goes on to say the foundation embodies the principles of Abraham Lincoln, who once said, I am for those means which will give the greatest good to the greatest number. And then they quote uh, some, some functionary at, at Lincoln uh, echoing this. And the third paragraph, the foundation is proactively pursuing a solution. A solution? Is there a problem? That benefits historical education. And then we get to the last paragraph at the end. The Lincoln Museum has operated in Fort Wayne, Indiana for many years. Well, 80 exactly, apparently. They're not sure of that. First is a library, then is a museum. And now in the last sentence of the press release, as a result of this new strategic direction, the Lincoln Museum will close to the public, effective June 30th. So, in order to make the collection more visible and accessible, this great museum that has existed uh, under the aegis of the Lincoln National Corporation for 80 years is closing. This is just a disgraceful uh, uh, behavior by what was once a great corporation to close and ultimately to destroy by dispersing the collection of uh, this museum as a way of celebrating, uh, as they cynically put it, the birthday of Abraham Lincoln. It is hard to imagine what they were thinking. The uh, local folks in Fort Wayne are certainly very upset. I've, I've heard from a number of them by email. I spoke to a reporter in Fort Wayne and expressed my shock and disappointment that the company would take such a uh, would do such a, a, an ill-judged thing 
And uh, my remarks were quoted there, and I've received a, a fair amount of email from people who were glad that somebody was, was pointing this out. Apparently, no one in the current museum hierarchy or uh, a few people in Fort Wayne are, are able to express themselves on this. A few exceptions to the rule can be found. Some members of the Friends of the Lincoln Museum have resigned in protest. But most people seem to be just... Uh, taking whatever Lincoln National gives them. The company that was once quartered in Fort Wayne has, has moved out its headquarters some eight or ten years ago and to Philadelphia and has moved out bits and pieces of the company regularly ever since, each time protesting um, that this would be the last move, uh, everybody else's job is safe, don't worry, until the next round of moves and job cuts. But this is really the last straw. Uh, the company claims in, in one of its articles uh, defending itself to a reporter against criticism that this was not about money, and there I have to believe them, because it doesn't take much money to run this museum. It's not a big museum, 30,000 square feet total facility. And if the company can afford to spend five gazillion dollars to name the Philadelphia Eagles field the Lincoln Financial Field, they could surely spare the, the change that fell out of their pockets on the way to the bank to run the museum for another 10 or 15 or 20 years. So it's not about money. Uh, I can only conclude it's about a failure of will, that they have no interest in Abraham Lincoln or the historical heritage of their company or of their country, uh, certainly no interest in the community that, that they once lived in, Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, they just don't care, and uh, it's, again, it's not that they're saving much money. They just don't feel like running the museum. Let's close it up, and don't worry about the fact that historians will not have access uh, to these use, useful items. Uh, the public will not have access to these items. It, it's it's just breathtaking, and uh, if it concerns you, uh, uh, just type Lincoln Museum into your computer, into the search engine, to Google, you can find the press release that way. Um, I'm uh, selling uh, what little stock in Lincoln Financial Group I still hold. I used to get that as part of my benefits package when I worked there. Uh, I didn't go out and buy it, but I still have some uh, from those days, and I've made an appointment with uh, a financial analyst uh, next week to meet and see how I can make sure that I don't own any of it anymore because it's just... Uh, not a company I would want to be affiliated with, one that destroys the 80-year-old Lincoln Museum on the 200th anniversary of Lincoln's birth. So uh, I, I don't want to take up the whole show complaining about it, but I think it is just uh, an act of cultural vandalism to, to take this collection apart uh, and, and, and see it removed like this. In a best-case scenario, I suppose the entire collection, plus the 18,000-volume library that is uh, an irreplaceable research resource, uh, these could all be moved to a single facility, say, uh, the, the Presidential Museum in Springfield. If that could be done, and I'm, I'm skeptical, um, that might be a more appropriate home. At least it would be in the hands of people who appreciate it and not uh, a corporation that uh, is willing to sell its birthright uh, for no good reason. So maybe that will happen. Maybe that will be the good that will come out of this. 
But in the meantime, it, it's really a uh, a truly sorry and cynical way to begin the uh, the, the celebration. Uh, put that word in quotes of Lincoln's 200th birthday. So I take a deep breath. We move on to the show at hand, and uh, I've given our guest Patrick Schroeder an impossible act to follow. Uh, a uh, as, as all this. Uh, bile spills out of me at, at, at this outrageous act that's taken place this week. Um, fortunately, there are uh, many historic resources that are not in private hands. There's nothing wrong with privately run resources. The Pamplin uh, Park Civil War Museum that we talked about with A. Wilson Green just a few weeks ago, uh, or was that last week? Time flies. Two weeks ago. Uh, is an example of of a, a privately run facility supported by private philanthropy that, that seems to be very effective. But maybe this just shows all it takes is a, a change in uh, leadership at the philanthropy and suddenly things are different. The former CEO of Lincoln National Corporation, Ian Rowland, uh, a man of great uh, honor and great interest in Abraham Lincoln, made sure that the museum was, was properly funded in his time at the helm of Lincoln National. But his successors, uh, whoever they are, clearly don't share that interest. And now we're seeing the, uh, the bitter outcome. All right, I take another deep breath. Put it behind me. Uh, Pat, are you there? Yeah, sure am. I'm, I'm sorry to have taken up half your show with my outpouring. It's not how the show normally starts, but this event of the past week really has shaken the Lincoln uh, scholarly world. Uh, Tim Townsend, your counterpart in Springfield, has emailed me about this. Um, I've, I've heard from a lot of other people, and it's really just uh, not a good thing for, for history when, when this kind of thing can happen. Right, right. And, you know, when you feel strongly some, about something like this, you definitely need to speak out on it. So, Well, that, um, that's, that's my intent here. And, and uh, listeners, if you... Uh, feel like communicate. I'm not even sure who you'd write to. I looked at the, I guess you could write to the CEO at Lincoln Financial Group. Uh, I'm sure there's an address on the website and and let him, uh, or her, I'm sure it's him, uh, let him know uh, what you think of this. Uh, if you own Lincoln products or Lincoln stock, uh, consider whether they'd be better off somewhere else. Uh, but uh, again, we'll, we'll move this aside. Uh, Patrick, thanks, thanks for Joining me on this uh, this particular happy day, um, you and I uh, met in person last week at the Longwood Seminar at Longwood University, right? Uh, not far from uh, Appomattox, and that was uh, a very nice event. Uh, one that that I hope our listeners will get a chance to drop in on next year. Uh, yeah, hopefully. It's our, our ninth year, and it seems to grow every year. We had about 150 people attend, and it's a, a free seminar that's put on uh, with the Park Service and uh, Longwood University. So uh, it's a, a, we usually get four or five speakers, and uh, each year we pick different topics. This year it happened to be on Jefferson Davis and Abraham Lincoln, uh, Lincoln with their, their 200th birthdays uh, coming up. Um, What's next year's topic? Well, we we usually don't have it set ahead of time, but uh, we're thinking of uh, secret missions of the Civil War. Ah, um, 
but in the past, last year we had the topic was uh, Robert E. Lee. Uh, before that, we had famous regiments of the Civil War. So it uh, switches each year. Uh, of course, we've had it focus on the Appomattox campaign, uh, which we probably will again, um, probably at the 150th. Well, it, it certainly was a pleasant uh, Saturday afternoon in south-central Virginia. It, there were interesting speakers and uh, a nice facility and a nice group of people, so I, I enjoyed it. And I appreciate you coming out, up and uh, letting the folks know about your book, Did Lincoln Own Slaves? Well, I'm, I'm always happy to do that. I particularly found interesting uh, a sort of variety of speakers. I, we heard from the... Uh, president of the Museum of the Confederacy, who gave a very interesting talk about that institution's right. future. Wait, Wait Rawls. Wait Rawls. He did, did a very good job. Uh, and uh, Jim Rubin did a good uh, first-person interpretation of Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Then uh, we also heard two people talk about Jefferson Davis, and one of them was Don Collins. Listeners of the show will remember he was on a little while ago. He's actually a, an emeritus professor here at ECU. And he's written uh, a book on the uh, the death and resurrection of Jefferson Davis, and his talk uh, echoed that. It's a scholarly book, but interesting, and, and gives a a very uh, enlightening picture of Davis after his death. But Patrick, what about that Jefferson Davis uh, first person presenter? What do we make of him? <laughs> um, well, uh, but you don't have to say his name because I'm going to call him a nut in just a moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he had his own uh, interpretation of the way things were, and and maybe not all of his uh, facts in order the way they should be. So um, when you line up these seminars, you you try to get you know good speakers, knowledgeable, um, but sometimes you 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 don't know what's going to get, and you really don't know what they're going to cover in their program. So there's no really editing process. So. Uh, um, kind of surprised me a little bit. <laughs> well, it was it was sort of entertaining, like the way a car wreck is. You know, you can't help but slow down and look. And uh, uh, he 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 looked like Davis, sort mm -hmm. of, and, and and sounded as I imagine Davis might have sounded. But um, I didn't know Jefferson Davis was an abolitionist. No, I didn't uh, either. <laughs> we found that, and neither did Don Collins, who's made a career of studying Davis. <laughs> and, and Don admires Jefferson Davis. He's told me. Um, I can't say that I do, but if Don Collins, who admires Jefferson Davis, leans over and says, "I've never heard more misinformation in an hour in my whole life," um, then I knew it wasn't just partisan, uh, uh, part partisan, uh, you know, critique on my part. Uh, right. He and I both agreed this guy had some pretty far out views on, on what made Davis tick. But yeah. uh, fortunately that's it. the exception rather than the the rule. Oh absolutely and please don't take it as a criticism. As I said, I enjoyed the the whole day and uh, if anything that 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 presentation kept me alert thinking <laughs> Am I really hearing this? Right, right. Well let me tie that into a question about Appomattox for sure. you because that that the fact that this fellow has a presentation worked up and, a, and an outfit to wear as Jefferson Davis means he cares about it. And his presentation was delivered with great vehemence. He was very into it. Um, what is it about the Civil War that gets people so emotional? <laughs> um, a lot of people, you know, have strong feelings, in it, and it's hard to say exactly where they originate, um, but people identify with the Civil War uh, really probably more than any other war. Um, 
it's interesting when you work at Appomattox and people come up to me and ask if you're if you're a Yankee, you know, because they want to tell you something that you might not like if you're a Yankee. So they kind of feel you out for what side you're you're leaning towards. So, um, which I always try to try to stay right in the middle, and uh, I can do that pretty good. Uh, I was born in Virginia, but I was raised in New York, so uh, I can look at it from both perspectives. But uh, a lot of people even have trouble coming to Appomattox, particularly. Uh, heartfelt Southerners that uh, say they just can't come to Appomattox, and it was such a such a sad day. So, um, but of course, uh, uh, the nation we know today really grew out of what happened at Appomattox, and uh, largely between the meeting of Lee and Grant. Well, let's talk about it, the the park itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm curious about how how long has it been. Uh, 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 National Historic Site. I mean, that, that's one question I have. Yeah, well, it, well, it originally... Um, but let, let me interrupt you before we start in on that, because I'm thinking of a couple others, but I'm also hearing the background yes. music, which tells me we're going to take a short break. All right, very good. We'll come back and we'll talk about the history of the park there and, and the history of what happened there in 1865. Our guest today is Patrick Schroeder, historian at Appomattox National Historic Site. We'll be right back on Civil War Talk Radio. 